Well, welcome to Newport Church at Home Online. So glad you joined us. I pray that God encourages you through the work of His Spirit in your heart, that you feel uplifted during our time of worship and the Word, and that uh, that during this time, God would speak to you in a, in a very unique and personal way. I want to pray as we enter into this time of worship. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We open up our hearts to you. We worship you. We love you. We thank you for everything that you've done for us. And today I pray that you would bless each and every person. Help us to connect with you. And Lord, may faith and hope rise in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Newport Church. Happy Sunday. We're so happy that we can come together to worship and how true is it to know that our victory is in Christ alone because of who he is, because of his name, because of what he's done and who consistently shows himself to be. So as we go into this time of worship, let's remember that we have our full victory in Christ. Amen. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause a God I serve knows only how to triumph. Our God will never fail. Our God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory. Take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. 
turn it for good You take what the enemy meant for evil And you turn it for good You turn it for good Let's sing it again You take what the enemy meant for evil And you turn it for good You turn it for good You take what the enemy meant for evil And you turn it for good You turn it for good I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord I'm gonna see a victory Time and space could not come. 
together, the end and the beginning. Sunday and welcome to our home. Today, London Eternity is going to help me with a little experiment. So here is your Eye Mask London. Qantas. You like that? Okay. And today we're going to be featuring one of the five senses that God has given us. And today is the sense of scent or smell. And so I've got three things that I am going to give to London uh, to ask her what they remind her of. So the first one is right in front of you. Don't break it. Uh, you've got to hold it up to your nose and tell us all what this reminds you of. 
It's like a flower, isn't it? What, the what kind, what does it remind you of? What does that particular smell remind you of? Oh, it's like the Hawaiian flower thing. It reminds me of Hawaii. It's like the frangy. Yeah, it's the frangipani. Frangipani. Right, so that reminds you of summer and it's a beautiful smell. We featured the frangipani plumeria before. So you can pop that one down. Oh, you want to have no, that I was your ear? Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, there's another one coming. Do not break this one. Um, hey, what does this remind you of, London? You've got to hold it up to your nose, It's very strong. <laughs> what does it remind you of? It smells like Dad. Does that like smell the, like dad? Is that dad's cologne? I, I'm guessing, oh, yeah. That's really special. Uh-huh. Really special. And then uh, last but not least, okay, here's another one. It's breakable too, but just be careful. Ooh. No, nope. it's not that. <laughs> There's a lot of there things. Okay, just smell Oh, that. it's like a... Okay. Ooh. Not a feeling today, just smelling. Well, I'm trying to guess what it is. It's like a fall candle. Is it a fall candle? I think it is. Yes. You are so right. Okay, so you can take your eye mask off now. Thank you for that little experiment. I got some candle wax under my nails, but that's Would okay. you like to light the candle? Yes. Okay. I've lost, light I've lost lighter privileges, so this is very fun. Right. I think we should not play with fire out. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, but. Okay. Oh. Let's see if we can. So, Mandy, why do you love this candle and what does it remind you of? It reminds me of. Well, fall is when like, everyone's home. So, like. Reminds you of family? Family, yes. And so, um, have your big siblings asked? mum to send them a four candle yes even though they live all in different states yes the reason is because it also reminds them of family well today is the conclusion of our series we've never been this way before And the title of the message is The Big Question. This was the question that was going to be posed to the nation of Israel as they entered the promised land. It was a question that God had been preparing them to answer from the very moment they left Egypt, went into the wilderness, and after 40 years in the wilderness, were about to enter the promised land. And it's the same question that God asks all of us. It's the most important question in life. And as we look at this, I want to look a little bit at the context of this series, give a little bit of background, go over some of the things, the pertinent points before we we pose this question that all of us must answer. Our key text, of course, has been the book of Joshua, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 where we read early in the morning, Joshua and the Israelites set out from Acacia Grove and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. 
then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. We've been tracking with that thought, then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before because we're in a season like that. And it's so important that we know which way to go. And in this passage, there are several keys that I wanna to just touch on briefly for their success. God said, number one, keep your eyes on the ark. We must keep our eyes on God's presence. Number two, let God's word be your roadmap. And number three, continue to take steps of faith as you enter into the promised land. God had carried them through the wilderness and now he said, you're gonna to have to walk for yourselves. God had fed them in the wilderness. Now he said, you're gonna to have to feed yourselves. God had fought battles for them in the wilderness. Now God said, you're gonna to have to fight those battles for yourself. God had managed everything for them. Now he said, you're gonna to have to manage the land for yourself. God had established their identity in the wilderness. Now God was saying, you're gonna to have to establish your identity in the land. They were at a significant crossroads. They were transitioning into the promised land. They were transitioning out of the scarcity and hardship of the desert into the abundance and ease of the promised land, out of uh, simplicity into complexity, out of unity into an environment of disunity, into uh, from a place of clarity into an environment of ambiguity, from an environment of equality into an environment of, of uh, inequality, from an environment of cooperation to an environment of competition. And so God said, I want you to enter the promised land. I want you to re-enter, to, to establish yourselves in the land. And the process of that is not going to be easy. There, there are gonna be challenges that are before you. One of the challenges were that they were gonna be spread all over the land from the, the north of Palestine to the south and east and west. And it was going to be harder for them to maintain unity. It was hard, gonna be harder for them to be a cohesive nation. And so God established three things. He established a central place of worship. He established a new, new patterns of worship and he established a place for everyone. And all of these are, are so important for us to understand as we re-enter, as we enter this next season. Number one, the importance of the central place of worship, our church, the, our gathering together. Secondly, new patterns of worship uh, from what we've been doing for so long online to gathering together in person. We're gonna be establishing some new patterns and a new fresh start. We're gonna have a relaunch as we enter this new season. And then a clearly defined place for everyone. Every one of us has a place. And of course, we need to know our place. We need to take our place and then we need to own our place. So these are, in a sense, this is the framework uh, of and the setting where as they enter the promised land, the big question is going to be posed to them. And this is the big question. After years of depending on God, uh, 
of putting all of their trust in God, of being totally dependent in God as they entered the abundance of the promised land, were they going to move from dependence to independence from God? Were they going to forget God? Were they going to move God to the periphery of their lives? Were they going to turn to other gods? Were they going to uh, focus on the blessing that God had given to them rather than on the one who had given them all of the blessing? And that was the big question that would determine their future and their destiny. And it's the big question for all of us in life. Are we going to live our lives where we are totally dependent on God as we are in a, in a time of difficulty and as we're in a time of uncertainty, just like we have been in, in this COVID-19 lockdown. But when we come out of that and we come out back and we re-enter a world where uh, we don't have the restrictions that we've had, we don't have the, 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 the angst and the, the worry and the, uh, that we've had in this season, when things are going well, are we going to move from a place of total dependence on God to a place of independence where we don't need God anymore, where God it can be a part of our life rather than central to our life, where we can focus on the distractions and the blessings rather than the one who brings the blessing to our lives. And this is what God warned them could happen and in actual fact did happen. Deuteronomy 6 verse 10, the Lord your God will bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord, your God, and serve him. And here's what happened. When they had eaten their fill in the land, they forgot the Lord. They no longer needed him the way they had in the wilderness. They were no longer dependent upon him and they forgot him. One of the, probably the greatest example of this is in the book of Judges, where after they had settled in the land, we find that there are 350 years of these cycles of dependence and independence over and over again. And this is what we read in Judges 2:18 that describes these cycles where they move from crying out to God, depend, needing his, his help, depending on God, and then when things were going well, they turned away from him. And Judges 2, when the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on the people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. They went after other gods, serving and worshiping them. And they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. 
So the Lord burned with anger against Israel. He said, because these people have violated my covenant, which I made with their ancestors and have ignored my commands, I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. In Judges 6, we read that when the children of Israel did evil in the side, the side of the Lord, the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. So when Israel turned to God and cried out in their oppression, God raised up judges to deliver them out of the hands of their enemies. These judges were called Shofitim, which means saviors, saviors with a small s, but they were saviors who saved them and rescued them from the, their enemies that had come against them, the Midianites and all of the other nations in the land that God allowed to oppress them in their rebellion in the in in during the times that Israel were rebelling against him and God was doing this because he was using their enemies to cause them to turn towards him in their times of rebellion and the theme of the book of judges is a recurring cycle all of these with five stages to them first of all the people of God rebelled. Number one, rebellion. Number two, um, uh, reckoning. There came a time of reckoning. God reckoned with them and he allowed the, the other nations to overcome the Israelites and use that to turn them back to God. And the, the, next, the next phase in the cycle was repentance. They moved from rebellion to reckoning, and after a time of reckoning, repentance, and then restoration, God restored them, and then they had rest. Rebellion, reckoning, repentance, restoration, rest. And so the cycle went on and on. And every time that they rebelled after a period of peace and prosperity and forgot God, God allowed them to experience distress. He allowed them to experience difficult times so that in those difficult times, they would turn towards him. And of course, if we look at the nation of Israel, the, those repetitive cycles went on and on and on until finally the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity 721 BC by the Assyrians. And then over 130 years later, 586 BC, the southern kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity by Babylon. And then, of course, they were able to return under the Persians. But then again, in the time of Jesus, 70 AD, the temple was destroyed and by the Romans and the nation of Israel were dispersed. All of these move cycles, all of these movements, uh, away from the land and back to the land, God purposed in all of that a, a desire to, to, uh, to cause God's people to turn to him. God wanted his people to be dependent upon him, not just in the, in the difficult times, but in the good times. He wanted them and he wants us to live in a time of blessing, in a time when things are not 
as difficult or hard. In a time when things are going well and we're experiencing abundance, God wants us to be dependent upon him in the abundance every bit as much as in the times that are difficult and hard. And God loves us enough to allow certain things to happen during those times so that he can get our attention, so that he can identify help us identify the real issue so he can help us to focus on the big question. He was trying to get their attention and he, he wants our attention as well when we're starting to drift away from him. A friend of mine uh, told me that when his, his kids were, were teenagers or, uh, and, and they had phones or maybe, uh, you know, in their young adolescent years, and they had phones, and he would try to contact them. And of course, all of us that have had kids that are teenagers, we know they're always on the phone, but they're always impossible to get a hold of. And he said that he would be trying to get a hold of them, and they wouldn't answer, and they wouldn't answer until finally he would call the telephone company that he uh, had had their mobile service connected with, and he would suspend their line, so they no longer had any connection. And when they had no connection, it was amazing how quickly he was able to get their attention. They were immediately on someone else's phone calling him saying, what's happened? My phone's not working. Well, he got their attention by creating a disconnect, by creating an uncomfortable moment for them. And God loves us enough to create uncomfortable moments for us so that he can get our attention. It's in those uncomfortable moments that we can work on things in our own lives and he can get our attention. But the thing is, God wants our attention even during the times when things are not uncomfortable, when things are going well, when we're experiencing blessing, when we're experiencing favor. And he says, don't forget when you're, everything's going well, don't forget God. Don't turn away from him. And so for us during COVID-19, I'm sure that God has got our attention in a way that maybe we would not have experienced without all that we've gone through over the last months and the last year. So what are the lessons that we can learn? What are the lessons that we can take into this next season? And I want to highlight three of those that I think are fundamentally important for us that relate to this subject of dependence and independence. Well, first of all, God wants us to become more dependent and less independent. God wants us to become more God-dependent and less independent. I love the story in 1 Kings 22 where the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah had, had divided. Judah had a king. His name was Jehoshaphat. Israel had a king. His name was Ahab. And they, they make an alliance together. And they're sitting on their thrones. Uh, and they're asking the prophets, the false prophets, what they should do, whether they should go to war with Syria or not. And we read here in 1 Kings 22, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. 
And the prophets were telling them they should attack the Syrians. They wanted to know whether to go to battle with the Assyrians. And uh, they were prophesying, but somehow there were the, 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 king, of A, the king of Israel and, and Judah, they, they, didn't really, they didn't really have any confidence in them because they, they, they were not prophets that were anointed by God. They were hearing ungodly counsel. And so uh, they ask, is there someone that we can ask? Is there a real prophet we can ask? And, and Ahab says, yes, there is. There is a prophet. His name is Micaiah, but I hate him because every time he prophesies, he tells me something I don't want to hear. And so uh, Micaiah, the true prophet, is summoned. And when he arrives and stands before the two kings, Ahab and Jehoshaphat, on their thrones, surrounded by all the false prophets, he said to them, I see another throne that is higher than your thrones. And that throne is the throne of God in heaven, surrounded by the angels of heaven. This is what, it, what is written in, the, in verse 19, 1 Kings 22, 19. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left hand. I think that's such a powerful image of a heavenly throne and earthly thrones. And there is almost, it's, a, it's almost a comical picture as it, we contrast the, 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 the kings of earth and the king of heaven the pomp and ceremony of earth and the majesty of heaven. Earthly power contrasted with heavenly power. False prophets uh, prophesying in contrast with the angels uh, and the armies of heaven. Two kings with all of their finery and royal robes full of self-importance while God looks on from his throne in heaven. And, and it's as if God's saying, you think you're on the throne? You think you're calling the shots. You think you're pulling the strings. You think you have the final say. No, Micaiah was pointing out, it's God who has the final say. It is God who is on the throne. And if you're wise, you would put your trust and your dependence in him, not in the counsel of people around about you, not in the ideas of others. And he was saying, you have become so independent, so self-reliant, so disconnected from God, so unwilling to hear what God has to say in case you don't like what you hear, that's why you're defeated. That's why you're living in fear. That's why you've lost your identity. That's why you've lost your sense of purpose. And Isaiah was pointing out that the big question, who they would serve, who they would follow, was, was not being answered by them. They were not fulfilling their purpose. They were not fulfilling their destiny. And for each and every one of us, we're, uh, our nation at this time, the world in which we live, we're being asked the same question. Are we gonna put our trust in God? Are we gonna listen to what God says? Are we going to put our hope in Him? Are we gonna be dependent on Him or are we just going to listen to the many voices around about us all saying different things, but will not bring the kind of outcome that will bring hope 
and peace and joy and the blessing of God to see God's healing and God's grace flow and justice flow like a river in our land. All because their focus was on the wrong place. They had become independent and disconnected rather than connected and dependent on God. I love this quote, Larry Crabb, who was a Christian psychologist said this, at the core of sin lies a commitment to independence and self-protection. I'm gonna repeat that, at the core of sin lies a commitment to independence and self-protection. And I think that we need to understand that because all of us ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden have a bias towards independence from God rather than dependence on God. We all have a bias, to, a bias towards self-protection rather than becoming vulnerable before God and, and, and admitting our wrongdoing. If you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, what was the first sin? Independence from God. Instead of trusting God's word, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They acted independently. What was the next thing they did? They realized their nakedness. They made uh, coverings or clothes out of fig leaves, covered their nakedness and hid in the garden so that when God came looking for them, they were hiding from God. They were protecting themselves. And I believe it's so important that we understand that all of us have that within us. Let's make sure that as we re-enter, as we, as we enter into this next season and, and, and maybe the restrictions are lifted and some of the things that we've been wanting to do we're able to do and, and things return to more of a normality, let's make sure that we, we keep that sense of total dependence on God and that we make God the, put God at the very center of our lives, not pushing him further and further out to the periphery of our lives. It's so important that we become more God dependent and less independent. The second thing is to renew our first love. What happened in the wilderness and what happened was that the, the, the first love of Israel was restored. They began to, to trust God and, 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 and their, their, their love for God was renewed during that time. And we see as Israel moved into the promised land, what, what happened is that first love that they had for God began to wane. And Jeremiah talks about it like the first love of newlyweds. And he, and he, and he says this, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert through a land not sown. In other words, they had forgotten their first love. The nation of Israel had, had, had moved to a place where their first love had been lost. And God is reminding them that their love and their devotion was initially like the love of newlyweds. Um, in the book of Revelation, Jesus talks to the church of Ephesus and he commends them, but then he points out an area in their lives that needs to change. 
He says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. In the Greek, it literally means you have lost your first love. Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus, you've done all these things. You've done well. You haven't given up. You've stayed fast. You've stayed true. But you've lost your first love. You've lost the passion and devotion of your youth. You've lost your first love, just like the nation of Israel did when Jeremiah was speaking to them. And Jesus is saying, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want more than anything else. Even more than what you do for me, I want your love. I want you to know how much I love you. And I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Remember Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In the message version, it says, translates that, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. I love that. With all of your passion, your prayer, and your intelligence. Love the Lord with all of your passion and devotion. We need both passion and devotion when it comes to the way that we love God. Passion is what fuels our love. Devotion is what anchors our love. And we need both. We need our love to be fueled by passion, but we need our love to be anchored by devotion. Passion is what keeps our love for God ardent. It keeps it fervent. It keeps it on fire. And Jesus said of the church of Laodicea, he said, uh, you are, uh, he, he said, uh, I know all things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm, like lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I do not need a thing. Jesus said, you're neither hot nor cold. You have no passion. You have no need for me. And because of that, I, 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 I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. What an extreme thing that he's saying, but they'd lost their passion. They'd lost their first love. They were lukewarm. And Jesus wants us to love him with all of our heart, with all of our passion. And at the end of that passage, Jesus says, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. I think there's nothing worse in a, than indifference. Jesus is saying, don't be indifferent. I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Uh, but just don't be indifferent. I want you to be passionate about your love for me. And Jesus demonstrated that through his ministry and his disciples, when they saw his passion, they noted the scripture that zeal for his father's house had consumed me. How important it is that we have that passion in our love for Jesus and that if we've lost it, that we restore it, 
that we stir it up, that we fuel it. Passion is such an important part of our love for God. We need passion, but passion must work together with devotion. You see, passion must be grounded with devotion. Passion can wane. We all know that passion can wane. Passion can be moved from one person to another. Passion can be moved from one pursuit to another. We can all think of people that we know who have been passionate about something, and then the next minute it seems they're passionate about something else, and the next minute they're passionate about something else. They move from one thing to another, from one friend to another, from one relationship to another, from one church to another, from one cause to another. They're very passionate about it, but their passion is easily moved because they're not grounded with devotion. And for that reason, it's easily moved. Passion may be the fuel that lifts our love to greater heights, but devotion is the anchor that keeps our love grounded. And that's what the nation of Israel was like. Their passion and devotion were not grounded. And that's what Elijah said to them on Mount Carmel. He said, how long will you waver between two opinions? They were passionate about God. Then they were passionate about the gods of the Canaanites. They moved from one to the other because their passion was not grounded in devotion. And we so need our passion to be grounded in devotion. What is devotion? Devotion is faithfulness. Devotion is worship, adoration, allegiance, loyalty. It's interesting in the Hebrew that the word is shalem, which is uh, similar to the word shalom, peace. It means complete, safe, wholehearted. That's a great picture of devotion. When we are devoted, the person we're devoted to feels safe. That when we are devoted to someone, it is wholehearted. In the Greek, the Greek word uh, euprosedros, literally means constantly attending to. That's an interesting thought, constantly attending to the one we love. And Jesus is looking for passionate devotion to him, passion that fuels our love, devotion that anchors our love. Passion, of course, is like a fire. A fire must be fueled or it will go out. And if we don't add fuel to a fire, uh, or we don't add fuel to our passion, our passion for God will go out. What is it that fuels our passion for God? His word, his spirit, gathering together, being together with people of like mind and like spirit, people of faith as iron sharpens iron. And, and so our passion is fueled when we're around people who are passionate. Passion is contagious. If we wanna be passionate about God, let's get around people who are passionate about God. So our passion must be fueled, but it must have devotion, which is like an anchor that must continually be watched. If you drop an anchor on a ship or you drop an anchor from the boat, it has to be watched because otherwise if it's not watched, that it may be moved and the ship or the boat may begin to drift. It's interesting that the word devotion means in Greek, constantly attending to, 
constantly watching. If the anchor's not watched, it can work loose and the ship will drift. We need to watch our devotion. We need to watch. Jesus said, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Watch and pray because you don't know when the Lord is returning. Um, keep a constant watch over your soul and pray for the courage and grace to prevail. In Peter says, uh, be serious and watchful in your prayers. So the big question is, do we still have our first love for Jesus? Do we need to return to our first love? Do we need to stir up our love for Jesus? Do we love God with all of our passion and all of our devotion? Because that's what he's looking for more than anything else. And then the third thing, as Israel entered into the promised land, and as we re-enter into this next season, the third thing is go back to basics. Back to basics. When Israel lost their way, God told them, go back to the basics. The basic command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jeremiah's lament in the, in, the de, uh, in, in the book of Jeremiah, he says, oh, that I could go away and forget my people and live in a traveler's shack in the desert, for they are all adulterers, a pack of treacherous liars. Well, he's saying, I wish I could go back to the simplicity that we experienced when we were in the desert. I, I, it wasn't just, I wish I could get away from these people. It was like, I wish we could get back to the basics. I wish we could get back to what's most important. I wish we could get back to when things were simpler, clearer, less ambiguous, less complicated, and the main thing was the main thing. What does going back to basics mean for us? Well, I think we need to rediscover some of those things that we've been talking about, our first love for God, the importance of our devotion to God, the importance of devoting ourselves to his word, the importance of going back to the fact that God chose us, God touched our lives, God called us, we've been bought with a price, we have a divine purpose to remember that the last thing that Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, the last thing he said was his first priority. Coming back to the fact that the that, that God, it's all about God and people. And I remember a saying as a new Christian that I would hear over and over again, and it became ingrained into me. The church is all about God and people. The church is all about God and people. And coming back to the basics, the basics of the fact that we are in, living in a world that is, that, that, is, that is looking for answers, that is seeking for truth, that wants to know, that wants to discover peace and somehow can't experience peace. And, uh, and we have an opportunity to share with them the reality of Jesus Christ, the fact that he is the one who can, the only one who can bring us true peace. He is the only one who can give us a sense of hope in the midst of hopelessness. And he is the only one who can stay, help us stay on course and it's because we know that the big question, the most important question in life is where do we sit when it comes to our relationship with God? And so as we conclude this series, 
the, there's so much that we've learned about the, the journey of the nation of Israel, going where they've never gone before. I pray that those lessons would stay with us. Let's take the lessons we've learned in this COVID-19 season into the future. Let's, let's apply them to our lives, but let's never forget that the most important thing, the biggest question, the most important question is our relationship with Jesus, our dependence on God, our first love for Him, and making sure that the basics, the most important things, loving God with all our hearts, soul, strength, and mind, and loving our neighbor as ourselves are the most important things in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I pray that this message has been an encouragement to you. And I want to close with an invitation. If you've been listening to this message, I want to speak to two groups of people. The first group of people I want to talk to is people who've never accepted Jesus as their savior, people who've never had an encounter with God that has transformed their life. And I want to tell you that Jesus did everything necessary when he hung on the cross and he rose from the dead to, for us to have our sins forgiven and for us to receive the gift of eternal life. And all we have to do is accept that because just like someone giving you a gift would reach the gift out, we can lay hold of it, take, take it, accept it, and it will change our lives, not only for time, but for eternity. The other group of people that I want to pray for during this time is, is those maybe he, who are feeling that they've lost their first love, that they've lost that passion, that sense of devotion. And I want to pray that God would stir that up in each one of us. So right now, I, I want to lead you, if you've never accepted Christ, in a prayer. Repeat this after me. And then I want to pray for all of us that us, our love, our passion, and our devotion would be ever increasing. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. I open up my heart and I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you that what you did on the cross enables me to not only know you, know your purpose for my life, experience your presence and your peace, but also to receive the gift of eternal life. And so today, I thank you for that. I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you that I will never be the same again. I pray, Lord, for every person watching this today, that you would stir our hearts, our first love for you. May we be passionate in our love for you. May we be ardent in our love for you. And may we be devoted to you, anchored to you, who are the hope of the world. We thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. The end in the beginning, the new reality outside my understanding, but still within my reach. As far as I can see you, you're closer still to me. You are the
I want to take a moment to talk about our giving and our generosity right now. First of all, I want to thank you for your faithfulness in giving. We've been uh, in a season where we haven't been able to gather together and we've been meeting through remotely through our online service. But your faithfulness and your consistency is, has been so important for us to be able to continue to do what God has called us to do. We are approaching the day when we're going to be able to gather again in our church building and we're so excited about that. But all that you are doing is making a difference, enabling us to feed the many people in our community who are hungry, who are in need of our support at this time. We're feeding and educating kids in India on the other side of the world. We are uh, putting out through our online service, a service that people not only on Sunday morning, but all through the week can connect with, that can cause hope to rise in their hearts. And we're preparing our building now for us to be able to re-enter and come back together as a church. So thank you for what you're doing. God is faithful. God will never uh, enable us to, to outgive Him. His word is filled with promise of how when we give, he will give back to us, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Uh, the measure that we sow will be the measure that we receive. So thank you for that. I'm believing God to cause his blessing and favor to be on your life as we give today. On the screens are the different ways that you can give. And we're so thankful for the opportunity to do that. We pray God's blessing and favor on you in Jesus' name. Well, as we close our service, I want to remind uh, you all that we are planning on re-entering and having our first service in the church building on November the 8th. Of course, that is subject to any changes that would take place, but that's our prayer and that's our, our, our goal at the moment. And we wanna provide three options for people. You can continue to watch online. You can come to our church and gather outside the church building in the open air. We'll have monitors there or come into the church building and be a part of the service there. So three different options. And let's be praying in these coming weeks we're very close to the election. It's a time for us to pray as a church and pray for our re-entry, that as a church we can 
continue to go from strength to strength. We love you. We appreciate you. Stay with us in the journey. We're going to communicate to you in the coming days all that's happening. You can go to our website, find out more details, and uh, we can't wait to gather and to see you again. Let me pray for you now as we go. Father, I pray for each and every person. I thank you for each one. You know everything about us. You know every challenge. You know every difficulty. You know every circumstance. And you're the God who makes a way where there is no way, turns impossible situations around, puts hope in our hearts when we feel devoid of hope. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause your grace uh, and your goodness to be there for each and every one. And I pray that the Lord would bless each and every one, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you now and evermore. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.